Let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever been hungry? I I mean really, really hungry. Now, I know that a long time ago it was said that you should, in, in public circles, never work with animals or children because they would both upstage you. And I think in church life, it's probably a no-no to talk about food while you're preaching because everybody's got lunch on their mind about right now. So it's dangerous ground for me to start by asking you that question. But I mean, have you ever found yourself staring in the refrigerator? Staring in the cabinet, longing, maybe, just maybe, I'm going to find that hidden stash of something that's going to satisfy this hunger in my mind and in my life. I mean, you're just kind of wondering, "Mm, there's got to be something in this house that I can eat. You know good and well, it's full from top to bottom. you got food, but you're saying, I just want just that right thing. And you're hungering after something. We gaze at the kitchen, we stare at the fridge, we look around all over the cabinets just trying to find that one final thing. And if we're honest, we're really not hungry, we're just bored. And truth be told, we're probably trying to fill something that's a little more empty than our stomach. Maybe it's something that's in our heart. We're just trying to satisfy some place that's unsatisfied in our life and we turn to food as one of those places of fulfillment. Obviously, the Sunday school answer is that only God can fill the the void in our heart. Only God can fill the longing in our soul. But I want you to look with me today at a very incredible passage of Scripture that will give us insight as we continue in this series called Traction. And here's what I want you to do. I want to put a word on the screen, and I want you to write that word down. I didn't give you fill in the blanks this week because I want you just to let the Lord lead you as to what may be significant as we preach today. But I want you to write this one word down, and the word is satisfaction. Write down the word somewhere, satisfaction. So many people who really may not know God at all are looking for satisfaction in all kinds of places. They jump from one relationship to another. They jump from one job to another. They're looking for fulfillment, for validation. They're looking for value. They're looking for worth. They're looking for love. They're looking for security. And as the old country song says, many people are looking in all the wrong places. It may bring some temporary sense of satisfaction or fulfillment, but we know that it will not last. Sooner or later, the shine wears off. Sooner or later, the prince or the princess becomes a frog again. Sooner or later, the warts are revealed. Sooner or later, as we begin to think about that, we we start searching for something else that would bring us satisfaction. We may chase money or security. We may chase pleasures in life. But we're all looking at some level for satisfaction for our soul. Whether you're staring at the fridge or you're staring at an opportunity before you and saying, I wonder if I should pull the trigger and move that direction. There may be some that are here today that do know God. And the problem is you've grazed at the buffet of the world just long enough to get a taste for some junk food that has no spiritual value whatsoever. And because of that, your taste buds have been dulled to those things that are most important. I I just want to pull over to the side for a second and say, I can't think of a greater message than we would share with the coming generation than what we just sang, that we would build our life upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, I'm thankful to pastor this church, and I know my own flaws, and there are days that I go, you know what, Lord, I, I pray that you would bless the people in spite of their pastor, not just through him. If you find a perfect church somewhere, don't go join it because you'll mess it up. 
I can promise you this one's not perfect, but I can promise you we'll stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We have nothing else to stand on but his word and his righteousness. And today, as we travel forward in these beatitudes and we consider what that means for us as men and women who are following Christ and for families and for a church in the middle of a community that desperately needs an anchor in the midst of chaotic and turbulent times, I want us to see that the only thing that will last is Christ. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to invite your attention back to Matthew chapter 5. If you'll look there with me while you're turning there, let me just kind of continue. If we think about this idea of satisfaction in our soul, I I want to take you to a couple places. You know, we we find ourselves again grazing at the world's buffet table, and it has no spiritual nutritional value. And, and the Bible says this in Psalm 107. You don't have to turn there. You've got your, your, hopefully your place and your mind set on Matthew 5. But Psalm 107.9 says this. For he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. What a great promise. God says, I will satisfy the hungry soul. I am the one that can meet that need. I am the the Gatorade that can quench your thirst. I am the Snickers bar that will satisfy. I'm the one that will meet deep down that place of your longing. God is the only one. Gazing and grazing at the world's buffet will never, ever do it. Chasing the next exciting relationship will never do it. Seeking to find fulfillment in anything else but God will never do it. But seeking that fulfillment in Christ will fulfill the deepest longings of your soul. Friend, let me just tell you this right off the bat before we even get to the Beatitudes. You can find the perfect mate and the perfect house and the perfect job and the perfect car or whatever you think it is, but you will not be fulfilled until you come to the place of recognizing that true contentment comes right there, that the psalmist understood that God alone could fill a hungry soul. And that brings us to the Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 6. We've been walking through these. If you're a guest with us or you hadn't been with us in a little while, let me just kind of clue you in. Jesus is preaching here the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's preaching, he gives us these remarkable statements of blessing. He says, these are the pictures of characteristics of a life that's blessed by God. If you live this way, you'll be blessed. And it's an amazing thing. It's sort of a a two-sided coin. I want you to hear this. He also is saying that you will not enter the kingdom of God unless this is a part of your life. He gives to us a pattern for the kingdom. Now, let me read for you Matthew 5, 6. In fact, let's just read it together. It's on the screen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. We just talked about satisfaction, and Jesus says, you want to be satisfied? Well, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, let me give you a little background by reading, starting in verse 1. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And now our verse, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or justice is a a, a translation that will follow, for they will be satisfied, or they will be filled. Pray with me, if you will. 
Father, we thank you for this tremendous truth that we're going to be looking at this morning. And Father, we would desire above all things that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Help us to get a grip on what this is truly saying. Help us, God, to to dig deeply in the mind of your truth and to deeply into our own lives to search out and see if we respond the way we ought. Minister to us, Lord. As we consider the words of Jesus, speak to us now. For we ask it in his name. Amen. So far, we have addressed three Beatitudes, and I want you to see that this fourth Beatitude is really a turning point. Things are going to sort of change a little bit. I want to give you an image that I gave you on our very first sermon in this series, and I want you to see this picture of development, this picture of growth. I hope you remember this. We talked about root, shoot, and fruit. We talked about the root being the very first three. We start out with a place where it says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You got to start there. You got to say, God, I don't have anything to bring to the table. I can't save myself. I can't earn it. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. Your heritage won't last for that. You can't ride in on your grandfather's coattails into heaven. You have to say, God, I need you. And that is the root of the Christian life. If you're going to enter the kingdom, you got to start there. And then he goes on and he says, those that are poor in spirit will mourn over their sin. They'll go, my sin is absolutely ever before me. And I mourn that. I know it's wrong. And when they do that, that's part of the development of the root of a life that is about to develop and grow fruit. Now, as we consider that idea of the root, it goes on. And he says, when they do that, they become humble. You know, the more I realized how good God's been to me and how bad I've been to God, how wicked I am before the Lord, and how much that I have not uh, anything to offer, even in my best shined-up religious Scott picture, when I, I step out in all of my righteousness, they're like filthy rags. The Bible says that the root of the Christian life is that I would come before him empty-handed and I would cry out to him in mourning over my sin and I would repent. I would be humbled before him. But that leads to the shoot. And I like to call that the shoot. It begins to grow up. And the shoot is right here that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's really where the life begins to happen is that you would live your life in a way that would begin to develop a desire to, uh, to have godliness in your life, a desire to read the word, a desire to pray, a desire to learn. More than that, a desire to be in his presence. You know, we get so caught up with confusing this idea of the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere, but there is something significant about being in the presence of God where he shows up. And we're going we're gonna to spend time later this year really focused in and talking about God's manifest presence. But I want you to see this with me. The root of your Christian life begins with that place of humility and repentance, and it develops a hunger that will ultimately ultimately grow into fruit. And let's look at the third one in that idea. Fruit is very simple. He talks about those that are merciful, those that are peace-loving, and those that experience peace. So we'll talk about the fruit in just a few moments. But as we consider that and in, in subsequent sermons, the idea is very simple. This beatitude begins to move from the, the root to where the life is, where the growth is. This life of godliness that springs out of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we move forward I want you to see something powerful this morning Matthew has decided in his heart that he is going to help people understand that Jesus is the king 
In fact, Matthew quotes the Old Testament about eight times to one for all of the other gospel writers because he wants them to see there is prophetic evidence that Jesus Christ is the true king. And he wanted to show that. He references the Old Testament again and again. And if you begin to think about it, he starts out with a kingly genealogy. And then he talks about the visit of the Magi that would come. They're the kingmakers. And then he points out the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And he shows Jesus' dominion. Now, why is all that important? Because I want you to see something pretty cool. If we were to look together at Matthew chapter 4, I want you to see a verse. Matthew 4, 23. Matthew 4, 23 says this. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That really is a picture of the ministry of Jesus. We have almost that exact same verse in Matthew chapter 9. I want you to scribble those down. So it's Matthew 4, 23, and then let's go to Matthew 9. And I want you to see this one, 935. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with me hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, I want you to see, watch, everybody look this way. I want you to see these two bookends, these parentheses, if you will. He's saying very pointedly, Jesus is the king. He is preaching the kingdom. He's teaching the kingdom. He's demonstrating the kingdom. He's healing people. And he said it at the beginning and he said it at the end. But between those two, in Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8, we see Jesus preaching and teaching and then healing. We see a demonstration of what he's promised on these bookends. And here he starts out right off the bat and he says, you want a life that's blessed by God? Let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like somebody who's poor in spirit. It looks like somebody who mourns over their sin. It looks like somebody that's humble. You know, those were not the things that they would experience in their mind. No, if we're going to be a part of the kingdom, I'm going to be a bold, brash warrior. I'm going to draw my sword and shield. We're going to fight Rome off. Jesus is going to be a conquering king, and there's going to be a swagger to that. No, Jesus said there's going to be humility to that. And the economy of God is pretty interesting because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Now, let's go back to this idea for a moment of being hungry. Let's go back to that idea. How does this fit in? Sandwiched between these two, he's very simply saying that it is a spiritual kingdom. And these are spiritual characteristics. And it's another way for us to understand that the kingdom of this king will be sought spiritually. Hunger is far, far more than a vague interest. Hunger's real. Hunger says, my body's telling me it's been some time since my last nourishment. It's been a while. Now, I, I realize that some of you have teenage kids or you have young kids, and they will look at you and they will say, Mom, I am starving to death. More than likely, that is not true, right? They are not on the brink of being famished to the point of death. They are, you are probably not going to lose your eight-year-old before lunch today for hunger's sake, right? 
Most of us eat fairly regularly, and we are on a consistent pattern. But if you were to go for a number of days, if you were to go for a number of weeks, you would get to the point where systems would begin to shut down because we are not self-sustaining. We need outside nourishment. And we have our body telling us with an alarm in our system, I am hungry. There are pains that happen. Now, there you go again, preacher. You're talking about food. That's not a good thing. Well, I, I want us to be careful with that, but I want you to see that a person who is really hungry would do almost anything for food. I mean, they're at a place of desperation. It is one of the strongest motives in the world. In fact, we use that to talk about a football team or a baseball team. You talk about a young athlete. What are they? They're hungry. They're hungry. They're going to work harder. They're going to strive to be faster and stronger. They're going to do everything they can. Why? Because they're hungry. They've got an edge. It's when we lose our hunger and we feel like we're sort of self-satisfied that we rest on our laurels a little bit. I think the same thing's true spiritually. And Jesus says something unique here. He says that those who are the most satisfied will the ones that will hunger the most. It, it, it's almost a unique fulfillment that we'll see. And I want us to talk about this this morning. So by wanting satisfaction, we don't get it. By wanting happiness, we don't get it. By wanting blessedness, we don't get it. But by wanting righteousness, all of a sudden, he said, you'll be filled up. This intense desire, this hunger and this thirst, this passion is the hallmark of a true believer. Think about the life of David, Psalm 42. He said, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for streams, uh, or, uh, pants for God, excuse me. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my, pant, uh, my soul pants for you, O God. We'll get that out in a minute. Let's try that again. Take it off the screen and let's see if we can get it. As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for God. Whew, glad we made it through that one. Imagine a deer that's been chased. Imagine a deer that has been running from the, the, uh, the, the, one of its predators. And in the midst of that, it stops by a cool, clear stream and it gets a drink. It, it's absolutely famished. And now it, it gets to take in refreshment. You, you've been there. I, I can remember at Tim's Elementary School and at Hattiesburg High School, we had on one end of the football field a garden hose. And we would all trek to that after we had run our sprints here and there. It was a long time ago before we knew a little bit about nutrition and making sure we were hydrated and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was almost a, a reward for not dying through your sprints. But we would all run to the end and we would grab that one hose and you would see a picture of Psalm 40. Too. As a deer pants for water, so that football team panted for that garden hose. We wanted it bad. And the Bible paints a picture of somebody that longs for God that way, that we are hungry, that we are thirsty, that we are yearning for God to have a, a central place in our lives. I want to know him. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this. It's fascinating to me. In Philippians 3, he said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. Now, listen to me, church. Paul writes this almost at the end of his life. I mean, if anybody knows God, you would think, Paul, he, he's got a pretty good relationship with God. He's been in prison for God. He's been beaten for God. He has written half the New Testament at this point, And he says, my desire is to know him. Some of you are that way. Some of you, you got saved a long time ago. 
And you didn't just rest on that decision. Well, I got saved when I was seven and that was 40 years ago and I'm happy now. No, you are still hungry. You're still longing and thirsting for God. And you want to be in the midst of Bible study. You're the person that's texting me. I get this all the time. Somebody, hey, pastor, check out this passage of Scripture. Look at what God said there. You can't wait to give testimony of what God is doing in your life. Oh, that your kids would begin to see that in your life, that you would hunger. We desperately need not satisfaction, happiness, or blessedness. We need Jesus. And you need to see that this idea of pursuing righteousness is not just a thing. It's not blessed are those who do more stuff. It's when you realize that you don't have any righteousness on your own. You see, the best way for us to move forward in this is to get traction on the first three. When I recognize I can't do anything good on my own. I run to Jesus. And when I run to Jesus, I recognize that's when I get filled. He is more than willing to bless you. Hear me this morning. God wants a relationship with you far, far more than you ever have wanted a relationship with him. God wants to bless you far more than you're willing to let him. God desires to move in your family more than you have given him room to move. And he says, if you'll hunger and you'll thirst, I will pour out my blessing of righteousness upon you. And what he's talking about is his own presence. He said, I'll be with you. I'll walk with you. I'll guide you. Righteousness is not something we do. It is Jesus. When we receive Jesus... When we hunger and we thirst after him, then we're blessed. I mean, this beatitude says the blessedness is a byproduct. The lack of blessedness and joy and satisfaction in our lives is a symptom that something is wrong. Hello. Let me just pull over for a second. I watch family after family. I watch church member after church member struggling with a joyless existence And they're spending all kinds of money and they're working at all kinds of projects and habits and hobbies and all manner of activities trying to find something that will fill up their lives. And to me, the red flag is just waving in the air over their life. Maybe, just maybe, there's a lack of hunger for things that actually could satisfy you. Maybe there's a lack of a a relationship that is in place. I want to give you very quickly this morning three observations about hunger. And we're talking physical hunger, and we're relating it to spiritual hunger. You ready? Number one, hunger is a sign of need. Hunger is a sign of need. When you're hungry, your body's telling you something. I need sustenance. It's been too long since my last meal. Hunger indicates the absence of food in the body and the awareness of the body's own need. And Jesus is telling us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are the ones that are blessed. In other words, the blessed ones are not the ones that think they have righteousness. It's the ones who know they need righteousness. Hello? See, that peacock that struts around spiritually and says, I've got half the Bible memorized and I've been to Sunday school for 50 years and I've got it all down pat, that's not blessing. That's religious emptiness. Blessing is the guy that says, I need Jesus more today than I did yesterday. I need Jesus in my family. I need him in my life. I need him in my job. I need him at school. He is the the central point of satisfaction for my life. And if I don't have him, I don't have anything. 
That, that may sound real patent this morning, but I want you to grasp it. When I have a hunger pain, there's a need. My body needs nutrients. It needs nourishment. It doesn't need sand. It needs food. It needs protein. It needs nourishment. It needs satisfaction from hydration. And we are drinking out of cisterns that are broken and won't hold water. When God gives us artesian wells of living water, he gives us the bread of life himself. And for you and for me, when we get God hungry, when we as a church family submit ourselves and begin to say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of playing games. All of a sudden, what you'll end up doing is stepping off a treadmill. You know, there's a, a growing population of people in the United States. They're called nuns, not N-U-N. They're not wearing a habit and going up into some convent, N-O-N-E. When they are asked, what kind of religious affiliation do you have? They say, none. Now, many of the nuns grew up in Baptist churches. Many of the nuns have heard the gospel. Many of the nuns have been to Bible school and Sunday school. Many of the nuns sang in choir. It just sounds like N-U-N. Over and over again, y'all are picturing a group of ladies going to the convent. But many of those who would not affiliate with any church anywhere said, I'm sick and tired of the emptiness. I went to the house of bread looking for some bread, and it was empty. I got stale, crusty religion, and my soul needed nourishment. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're hanging on by a thread, and you say, Pastor, it's a wonder of all wonders that I'm even here today. I'm sick and tired of religion. I'm sick and tired of the game. Guess what? Me too. And guess what? So is Jesus. Jesus says religion will never satisfy your soul. And for you and for me, if we would get off that treadmill and just begin to realize, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Filled to overflowing. Filled to satisfaction. And the amazing thing is, that satisfaction leads to more hunger. We'll long even more. I, I love the old hymn writer said those words of, I love to tell a story, but he said, those who know it best are hungering and thirsting to hear it like all the rest. There is something inherently in the relationship with Jesus Christ. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to want him more. Hunger is a sign of need. So many people around us are confident in their own righteousness. The Pharisees were like that, and Jesus didn't pronounce them blessed. He cursed them. The blessing does not belong to those who see themselves as paragons of virtue. The blessing is for those who understand how far they've got to go. Not only are there many people that are confident in their own and even arrogant in their own righteousness, there are also people that are content in their sins. There are people who are content in their sins. And Jesus doesn't pronounce them blessed either. No, he said, go and sin no more. Those that have a strong desire to grow in righteousness are the ones that Jesus said, that's where the blessing lies. Number two, I want you to see this. Not only is it a sign of need, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of life. If you were to go to a NICU, if you were to go to the labor and delivery department and see a brand new baby, one of the things they'll say, is that baby eating okay? Is there a suckling response for it to get nourishment into its life? It's a sign of life. Nobody teaches a newborn how to be hungry. They don't need mentoring on that. They need food. They need nourishment. Where there's life, there's hunger. Spurgeon said this, to hunger after righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. Nobody who is spiritually dead ever did this. 
I've never seen anybody at Hewlett or Moore ask for a big one from Ward's. When you're dead, there is no appetite. When you're dead, there is no activity. And so when somebody says, you know what, I'm bored to death with Bible study, red flags. Now, we can train people. You can teach people. My kids didn't always long for hunger for nutritional things. We had to teach them some things about nutrition. But when you begin to realize this is really good for me, this leads me on a path of life, it's encouragement for my soul, I begin to hunger for it. If somebody has no appetite, no activity for the things of God, then there's a red flag in my heart that maybe just maybe they're spiritually dead. Let me give you another quote from Spurgeon. He said, when the Spirit of God has changed our nature, I love this, the new nature hungers and thirsts after righteousness. The old nature never did, never could, and never would. That's why lost people act lost, even when they join churches. They fuss and they fight and they squabble and they don't hunger for righteousness. They don't hunger for love. They don't have it in their heart. And Jesus said, you want to be blessed? Come to the place of tapping out spiritually. I'm bankrupt. I need you. And humble yourself and he will fill your heart with righteousness. Does that make sense, yes or no? That's a few of you. Does that make sense, yes or no? Church family, you need to know this. The flesh never hungers after righteousness. It wants to go and sin. If you hunger for righteousness this morning, thank God for it. The mark of a true Christian is not that he feels righteous, but he longs to be more righteous than he is. Number three, I want you to see this. Hunger is a sign of health. A healthy appetite is a good sign that a person's well. If a person loses their appetite, it usually is a sign that something is wrong. Apply this spiritually. If you don't have a deep longing to grow in Christ, there's a good statement about your spiritual health there. The sign of spiritual health is not that you feel like you've arrived, but you've got a great longing for more. The mark of a true Christian is never that he feels like he's arrived at righteousness, that he hungers and thirsts for it. Hunger is a sure sign of spiritual life and of spiritual health. I want you to see this. Let me put something on the screen you need to hear. Some words of Jesus. Jesus does not say that we are righteous if we hunger and thirst to be blessed. Jesus says very pointedly, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be blessed. See how easy it is for us to mix that up? You go to the Christian bookstore and what are the books about? Having big, growing, healthy churches and having happy families. Having good finances. Living your best life now. And the Bible is very, very pointed that our desire for hunger and righteousness leads to a byproduct of blessing. Not our hunger for God's blessing leads us to be righteous. Boy, if God would just bless me a little more, I'd serve him better. And so many people think that way. But I want you to see this very pointedly. Why did Jesus die? Have you ever had somebody ask you that question? Some of you say, well, because Pilate pronounced him, because the religious leaders sold him out, because the Romans crucified him. No, he didn't just die to make you happy. He didn't just die to take you to heaven. He died to transform your life. And I want to give you three verses that may be the most powerful statements on the atonement. And, and you may not get all the verses down, but write down the references. First one is 2 Corinthians 5, 15. 
He, Christ, died for all that we who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Folks, do you see that? Jesus died so you'd stop living for yourself. He didn't just die to take you to heaven. He died for righteousness to come into your life. Let me give you the second one, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Read it with me. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You may never have thought about that. God died. He crucified. God the Father crucified his son Jesus. Jesus willingly sacrificed his life so that you would die to sin and be made alive to righteousness and live no longer for yourself but for him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You're probably a little more familiar with this one, but maybe you've not seen it in this context. For our sake... He, being the Father, made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see, folks, God doesn't just want you happy and healthy and blessed. That's not the the focus. Our pursuit ought not be happiness, but holiness. And if we'll pursue holiness, Jesus said, I'll bless you with satisfaction. I'll bless you with the very thing people are starving to death to get. They're spending billions of dollars to satisfy the soul with things that will never satisfy. And all the while, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dad, some of you need to hear this. Because some of you think, if I'll earn just a few more dollars, then we'll be satisfied. I'll have security. Well, that can go away like that. If I can get one or two more projects done on this house, this house will be perfect. Well, as soon as you do, something else goes wrong. Anybody remember Katrina? That perfect house can go away. That perfect sense of security can be stripped away. Your 401k can become a 201k really, really quickly. It doesn't take much. And if your security is in things of this world, then get your eyes on the Lord. Because he said, I will satisfy. The purpose of the passion of Jesus Christ is that we should have a passion for righteousness. He died to redeem a people who no longer live for themselves, but live with a passion for holiness. That's what a watching world is longing to see. One man, one woman, one student. Students, if you would give yourself over. Let me speak to our high school and college students for a moment. I know y'all are kind of scattered out in a few places. But let me speak to you. If you would live your life with a pursuit of righteousness, God would bless you in incredible ways and that blessing would spill over to others. That blessing would make an impact on your campus, whether it's a university campus or it's a middle school. It doesn't matter. You live your life not pursuing the blessings of God. I just want God to bring me a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I want God to bring me happiness. I'm hoping that when I get to a certain age, I'll get a car. And that's not just middle and high school stuff. That's all of us. Those who are about to graduate, if I get just the right job, just the right graduate program, just the right fill in the blank. And we pursue those things for all of our days. And sooner or later, we need to come to the end and recognize that we'll leave with lots of regrets if we try to chase after temporal things to find eternal satisfaction. For you and for me, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the only one that can satisfy the soul. 
I'll, I'll say it this way, and I know that I've kind of bombed the rubble this morning, but the distinguishing mark of the Christian, those that are righteous in Christ, is that they long for righteousness. The most righteous long for righteousness. They're not the people who say, I made a decision 25 years ago and I'm just waiting for heaven. No. They're the ones that are leading the charge. Teach me, pastor. Teach me, Sunday school teacher. Guide me in the word. Help encourage my faith. I want more of Christ. Is that you? Very simply this morning, do you have a need for righteousness? And do you feel that need? Has God awakened in you a heart's desire to be holy? A longing to be done with sin. If this is the desire of your heart, you can be sure that you're a Christian. If you find yourself in this position, that's an unfakeable hallmark. There are a lot of people who fake it, but there are very, very few that recognize God has given to me this great gift. If you have a hunger for righteousness at all, it's because Christ has provoked it in you. I want to end today in a little bit different way. We're going to read a prayer together. Nobody in my understanding and studies and reading has probably written more about the pursuit of the holiness of God than a man named A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer has been one of those men, Aidan Wilson Tozer. And Tozer has written extensively on this pursuit of righteousness. And I want to I lead you in a prayer. And I, I pray that this would become our prayer. I pray that it would be your prayer. And here's where I want to go before we, we wrap up. Let me give a little instruction. We're going to sing a, a hymn of decision in a moment, as we always do. And there are opportunities for you to respond to this message. How do you respond to a message like this? Maybe if you know in the heart of hearts deep down where nobody else knows that you don't have an appetite for spiritual things and God has stirred something in you, you need to come and talk to one of our encouragers. They'd love to share with you from God's word how you can begin that relationship, how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. If that's the need of your life, in just a moment as we sing, I want to encourage you to come. Our encouragers meet right down here. We'll introduce you to one of them, and they can share with you from God's word. Maybe the need of your life is to join this church. Again, it's not a perfect church, but it's a church on a foundation that is right. It's secure. It's unshakable. And that foundation is Jesus Christ and his word. Maybe that's the need of your life. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. The encouragers are here for that as well. But as we pray this prayer, I want to speak to those of you who do have a desire to go deeper, who do have a desire to hunger and thirst. The best really is yet to come. We've said that for a long, long time around here. I believe that God is stirring in our hearts a movement of discipleship. We've got a, a small group of people that are beginning to focus on spending time in the Word and praying and memorizing Scripture. Sooner or later, we would love for you to jump in. If you're interested in that, come and talk to me. We'll, we'll talk you through it. Our deacons are meeting at 5 o'clock this afternoon. I'm walking them through a process, a very simple Bible study called Walk With God. And I want you praying for that movement to happen because I believe God's doing something very, very unique. I've not seen it in a lot of the churches in my ministries. Oh, we can do things such on autopilot. I, I read church bulletins and, and what did you do? Well, we painted the women's bathrooms. Well, bless God, you can run around with women and smoke cigars and paint bathrooms. You don't need the power of the Spirit of God to do that, do you? I want God to do what God alone can do. Hello? 
I want God to bring revival to Hattiesburg. I want God to break addictions and him to bring families together. I want God to end fatherlessness where we see young men raised in homes where they have no example. I want to see men come to faith in Christ and stand up and raise up sons that understand what it means to be under authority and to lead with authority. I I want to see our community be a shining light to the world. I want to see Hattiesburg, Mississippi be the spark of a revival that would literally touch the nations. And it's not just about tipping our hand towards something nice and giving a little money to help a child in Bolivia or Bangladesh. It's about you pursuing righteousness. So let's read Tozer's prayer together. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's stand together. This is for those of you that are already believers. Let's read. Oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory. I pray that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up my love and come away. Then give me the grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. If we meant that at all, it would spark a revival. I dare you to pray, God, I want to want you. He'll answer that prayer. Amen. I want to pray. Our musicians are coming. We'll sing together. Father, in the name of Jesus, do which you alone can do. Would you place a hunger in our church? God, I pray that we we might even fast from physical food to say we, we, we want to feel the pangs of spiritual hunger. And we want to long for you. God, that you would stir in us revival. Do which that alone you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.